Welcome to the Insider's Guide to Finance, where we dive into stories from the front lines of financing public and private companies. I host seasoned CEOs, fund managers, bankers, brokers, and business experts who will answer your questions about how to properly engage investors, finance opportunities, and build outstanding success stories. We dig into the educational how-tos and mechanics of structuring good deals. You'll also hear about strokes of luck, tense negotiations, and the pressures of closing, while also getting insights on how to best navigate the public markets. Welcome back to the Insider's Guide to Finance. Today, we're hearing from Dean Nogler, the Vice President of Corporate and Shareholder Services at Olympia Trust Company. As you may have seen, and I'm proud to say, Olympia is a sponsor of this podcast. But I don't want you to assume that this is just going to be a prolonged commercial for Olympia. As our conversation develops, you'll hear a bunch of very interesting perspectives from Dean on what it takes to operate a public company from a corporate shareholder services standpoint. They're tips and points that CEOs and IR pros are best to keep in mind. On one level, I frankly didn't pay enough attention to what corporate shareholder services companies do until I was caught behind the eight ball with an issue relating to a private placement I made. No names, but I was subjected to deal with a shareholder services company that completely dropped the ball on me. It made me realize that a great investor experience is as important, if not more important, than a great customer experience. Another thing we dive into is the culture and history of Olympia Financial Group. This was particularly interesting for two reasons. One is that of succession planning and execution. And the second was to hear the inside scoop of a publicly traded company that has been recognized as one of Canada's fastest growing companies, as well as a top employer multiple times. I love getting behind the scenes and I'm happy to share Dean's perspectives with you. So enjoy the show. Dean, welcome to the show. Thanks, Corey. Great to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation as, as I was mentioning before. I mean, you've, you and Olympia have been a sponsor of the podcast for the last year and a half. And, and as I've come to know you, there's, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes of public companies. There's, there's information that, that you have that I think they should have. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to having a discussion. What do you say? I'm going to hand it over to you. Can you give us a bit of a background, a bit of an introduction on yourself, and then we'll start a conversation, start talking about the world of trust services and everything there? So I'm the Vice President, Corporate and Shareholder Services at Olympia Trust Company. And Olympia is an Alberta-regulated trust company uh, headquartered here in Calgary. We've got just over 200 employees. Personal level in terms of my background, I've always had a bit of a foot in the door of the securities industry. Uh, my father was an investment advisor. So growing up, it was very much a big part of our our family life was dealing with investments. And uh, my first part-time job in high school actually was in the back office of a brokerage firm back in Halifax. And I kind of kept that going throughout university, in fact. But I always knew I didn't want to be a broker and follow in my father's footsteps. But I did want to somehow stay involved with the securities industry because I I was uh, kind of drawn to the transactional aspect of it. So moved out to Calgary and first job I managed to land was at Olympia Trust Company 22 years ago, almost to the day. I think my anniversary was about a week ago. So um, 
Yeah, that's uh, kind of the background at a very high level. That's something I want to get into is Olympia Financial Group as a company, and then you've got your divisions under there, one that you lead, has built up a hell of a reputation as you know a wonderful place to work. But you know, you've committed your career to them and, and then have some like experience outside of there. But can you give me a bit more background about kind of Olympia Financial Group and some of the work that that Rick and Craig have done and and what that's like? Because that's a in itself a TSX listed company. So mm-hmm. as far as you can go, what's it like being on the inside of that? Yeah, it's you know, it's a very interesting company to be part of. We like you said, we are a public company listed on the TSX. But uh, yeah, I mean, it it is a very interesting company to be a part of. I've been very fortunate to be part of it almost, you know, since the beginning. And just to see the growth and the changes over the years. And, you know, as we branched out into other areas, it's been a very exciting ride. And, you know, it just continues to evolve every, uh, every step of the way. We're always looking at new areas to start servicing and, you know, what the future might hold for the company. There's an interesting history there with, um, I mean, specifically to the trust. And, and I want you to get into that because as I understand that and don't know the timeline exactly, but Olympia Trust was then sold. And now as soon as that, that like non-compete came off or whatever was there, you guys came back in and have rebuilt the trust division. And so, yeah, what's, what's the, the history there? Yeah. So, so just to clarify, it wasn't the entire trust company. It was only my division, the corporate and shareholder services division that was sold. So it was just an asset purchase. The rest of the trust company did continue. But just to, to go back to that time, so that was in 2013. And you know, at that stage, Olympia had built up quite a solid reputation. We, I, I feel at that time, we were really one of the leading transfer agents, especially in Western Canada. We were now at that time developing a presence in Ontario as well. So we kind of had that moment where we had to sit back and think, okay, what is the future going to hold for this corporate and shareholder services division? Do we continue to grow organically? Or now that we've hit this size, should we be looking, you know, is it time to see if we are a better fit with a larger organization. And by coincidence, at that same time, in the early 2013, one of our competitors was acquired by the TMX group. And that led to the the creation of TSX Trust Company, which is one of our competitors right now. And that really did make us think even more seriously. Okay, now we're up against these big guys like ComputerShare and AST Trust Company, and now the TMX has their own trust company. Where does that leave us as you know, more of a mid-sized player, regional, uh, even though we were expanding into Ontario? And you know, after a lot of internal discussions and also discussions with external advisors, decision was made to uh, see if there was uh, another path forward for the division and we ended up being acquired by computer share and so that was in December of 2013 that that acquisition happened so like I said the rest of Olympia trust carried on myself my team the clients we all transitioned over to computer share and that was really the start of a new chapter for all of us you know we went from being part of like I said more of a regional, trust company. And, you know, I always thought Olympia was a big company, publicly listed on the TSX, a couple hundred employees, but that's nothing like being part of a global company. 
And so that was a really interesting time for all of us, I think, just to adapt to that. Can you can you touch on that? Because it's like that that change in culture. And I mean, don't, you know, well, actually throw as many stones as you want. I don't think you will. But what was the difference there? And 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 now when you're leading corporate shareholder services, like how how do you work your culture and and intend to have your culture compared to what you learned from that experience? Well, I think first and foremost, it was an eye-opening experience, just the exposure we got to the the different client base that you have when you're with a company like ComputerShare. I mean, again, massive global company. So we we went from dealing with, you know, small, some mid-cap and some large cap, mostly oil and gas issuers to now having exposure to companies like TELUS and Great West Life and Suncorp, you know, just things that Olympia was not equipped to handle. Um, So from that standpoint, point, it was really fascinating to see how you work with companies of that magnitude and a lot of lessons you take away from that. But then, you know, with that, you also have a completely different structure internally. And, you know, you kind of have to have that because of the nature of the clients that you're serving. So, you know, it it very much was an eye-opening experience. We went from, you know, a place where decisions could be made fairly quickly as in the same day and you know we could pivot very easily to an organization where you know that's just not possible and it's not through any fault of anyone it's just that's what you get when you're with a large global organization yeah. that operates in all these different markets I mean like um, to to enable them to serve those major markets they, they need that bureaucracy and structure that exactly. that moves slow yeah yeah and you know i i remember i had uh, an interesting conversation with someone on my team when i was at computer share and I, I was just having one of those moments where I was frustrated at how long it was taking to get something changed. And I don't even remember what it was. And he said, look, you need to realize that computer share is like a cruise ship. You know, it's big. It takes some time for it to be able to pivot or make a turn. And, and that's just the way it is. Whereas I came from Olympia and he said, you know, you were used to more of a sailboat where you could react quickly and move, you know, on a dime. I thought, you know, that's a really interesting analogy because, uh, you know, personally, I love the comfort of a cruise ship. No problem there. But for me personally, there's nothing more exciting than sailing. And so it it just kind of resonated with me. I thought, yeah, that's right. This is a a huge difference between the organizations. And, you know, for, for me, I've always had kind of an entrepreneurial streak and and that was always nurtured at Olympia and uh, it was something I was missing absolutely no uh, I, I yeah, didn't know you were, I didn't know you were a sailor is that actually true yeah yeah oh, amazing yeah it is yeah, yeah I mean uh, it's been a few years since I've been out but yeah yeah I guess you can't really take a boat down the a sailboat down the bow but no. um <laughs> I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to learning to sail it's uh it's on the list there it's just oh, yeah. I think it's a beautiful thing so yeah, yeah <laughs> but, no it's great and it's exciting so yeah, it is. it is. But that that analogy is so true, right? And and I think that that's kind of it's something that I think that we need to cherish more. Uh, and I'm taking this to a high level. If you look at what we have in Western Canada, what we have in the Canadian early stage, the public venture capital markets, which Olympia serves, it's it's now become globally recognized for what we have. And and to 
for what you guys are doing and, and the, the entrepreneurial approach that you have, I think that there's a like an interesting fit and a real need for that to, to be able to support these early stage companies without bureaucracy, but with that kind of hands-on approach. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And I think I think at the time when Olympia made the decision and, and we we sold off that division to ComputerShare, it was the right decision at the time. But, you know, as time went on, I think there was a realization that, you know, there was a need for that kind of a, a trust company and, and transfer agent. There was a need for that type of service level. And there still is. And, you know, after a few years of my time at ComputerShare, I thought, this it's just not resonating with me anymore. I need to get back to what where my passion is. I need to be able to be more hands-on with the clients and, and just you know get back to the roots of everything. And so after um, about four years being with ComputerShare, I, I made the decision it was time to leave. And, and at that time, I actually had two different groups approach me, uh, both of which were looking to start up a new trust company in Alberta. And I thought, this is great. I can start from scratch again and, and really get back to what I love doing. And so I, uh, I made the decision and I left ComputerShare and I joined a company called AltaCorp Capital, which is a boutique investment firm, investment banking here in Calgary, uh, with a great reputation, had been uh, around for over a decade at that point, and uh, great management. And it uh, had support of ATB, Alberta Treasury branches behind it. So it just seemed like the right fit. And the, the CEO was really uh, interested. And he thought this would be a great fit for AltaCorp to Build a trust company. Complemented the business really well. It just what would what was the strategy there? I mean, they're a boutique investment bank, as 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 I understand. And why why would they want to have a trust company? What was the the strategy or the benefit there? Well, I think a, a couple of things. I think at that point in time, everyone had kind of realized that there were no regional players anymore. The, the entire market at that point was dominated by computer share AST and TSX Trust. So there was definitely an opening available. And, you know, the, the, the areas that we serve as a trust company, it's predominantly public companies, uh, some private companies as well. You know, we're intimately involved when there's financings going on. And it, it just all intertwined really well with what they were doing. You know, they were specializing in M&A activity, things of that nature. So there is just a natural fit there for our business to, to be formed. Let, let me just jump to, to another question and getting more into the details about what corporate shareholder services is. Because there's a lot of stuff there, and I don't think that I don't think that enough companies, public companies, the CEOs, the C, the CFOs, really fully understand what what you guys do behind the scenes. Yeah, I, you know that's very true. Um, to be honest, my wife of 20 years still doesn't fully understand what I do. <laughs> it is very uh, specialized, and to be honest, it's more in the background, so it's not as prominent. So, you know, at our core, what we do as a transfer agent is we maintain the shareholder records for for these companies. So, along with that, become a whole host of ancillary duties that that fall in line with that. And so, when you think of 
of the life cycle of a company and how we fit into that by the mere fact that we maintain their shareholder records. Well, you know, we may start out assisting a private company with that function and then they decide to go public. So we're involved with that IPO process in terms of dealing with the financing, getting the shares issued, acting as the escrow agent if there's any insiders where the shares have to be um, put into escrow to meet certain regulatory requirements. So that's how we get involved with the public companies as they start out. But then you have all the things you do now as a public company. So your AGM, which you may not have done as regularly as a private company. And so we're, again, intimately involved in that process from the regulatory notifications, coordinating with the proxy mail-out and the tabulation of the proxies, making sure the votes are going well and, and working with the company at the meeting. And then, you know, other, other things that may come up, additional financings, whether it's equity or debt that they're doing, we can act as the trustee for debt financings. You know, they as they continue to grow, they might become a dividend payer. So again, transfer agent steps in, handles the payment of the dividends. If there's a reinvestment plan, we act as the plan agent and, and facilitate all of that. Um, so, you know, it really goes full circle. It can end right up with a corporate reorganization. The company, you know, whether they get acquired through a plan of arrangement or a takeover bid or or um, some other type of transaction, and we get involved as the depository on those deals and work with the shareholders, make sure the uh, entitlements get ex- issued and, and the exchanges happen smoothly. So, you know, there's a whole wide variety of pieces of the puzzle where we become involved, where a lot of companies don't even think about it until it it happens. And then they think, oh, well, now we need to deal with this. So how do we do that? Well, chances are you need to be talking to your transfer agent and they'll help guide you through that transaction. Uh, I'm going to touch on a, my own personal experience here about dealing with uh, a different tr- transfer agent. And, you know, frankly, they're in the Canadian markets and it was a disaster. It was just, it, I was shocked by the fact that I participated in a private placement and private placement goes public. And now I had to engage with the share or the, the transfer agent uh, on a couple of things. And it was as though they had practically or almost lost my money, right? My, my, share cert, my, my, my shares to, to get them to my broker. And when I look back at that from somebody who's both been in the finance industry and somebody who's quite interested in the world of product and, and of service... There's an investor experience there that me as an investor in that company is getting handled very poorly. And it almost reflects on the company as well. And so it just made me reflect on the on even as a transfer agent, there needs to be a level of of, of duty and of care to make sure that those shareholders, those who have, who have invested, are actually going to get taken care of in a way that is going to make them look upon the company and say, that company is awesome, regardless of, of you know, uh, you know, I love the story and I love how I've been treated. And, and it sounds like that's where you guys can step in or where a transfer agent needs to be stepping in and really providing outstanding service as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the name of our division is corporate and shareholder services, and and we take that second part very seriously. The public companies, private companies, they're our clients. So our, our duty is to 
to help them with whatever they need. But ultimately, because we handle the shareholder records, we have to be able to serve those shareholders and assist them with anything that they're looking to do, whether you know it's an estate transfer for a shareholder who's passed away or just replacing lost certificates or even just transferring the shares or getting a new DRS statement. But at the end of the day, you have to be um, responsive. As an investor in any company, you're, sometimes you're going in blind. You don't know what you're getting into. And if you then are not getting a response, you're not getting the service you need, it just makes you that much more on edge. Did you invest in the right company? So you're right. It does well, it make makes, uh, Honestly, it, it got me uh, from an emotional standpoint to be saying, you know what, this is pissing me off. I'm going to sell my shares immediately. And, and that was emotional. That wasn't, you know, I wasn't taking a really kind of fundamental approach and looking at the company and saying, oh, the fundamentals still good, but it got me emotionally to the point where I was like, I'm just getting out of this. Yeah. And, and, and if you have hundreds of shareholders, thousands of shareholders, and even, you know, 2% are feeling that way, that's, that's enough to potentially move a market. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in this day and age, companies need to be aware of that. And, you know, one of the things I always say, you know, when a company goes public, it changes the whole landscape of who they're dealing with when it comes to their investors. You know, as a private company, they they had a lot more control, they could communicate a lot easier with the shareholder base. But once once you go public, you you lose some of that line of sight. And, and the danger is that, you know, shareholders can be very vocal, especially in this day and age with social media. It, it's not like it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, where the only opportunity once a year for these shareholders to voice a grievance was at the AGM. Shareholders can voice their grievance every day now if they want. And, and I've seen it, you know, on LinkedIn, everywhere, where, you know, there's just these people having these bad experiences and, and putting these words in. So yeah, that's very true. Yeah, it's something that you definitely have to keep in mind what the investor experience is like. You know, something that I thought was interesting is we talked a bit about um, some of the experiences and the views you have. Like you kind of have an interesting view into the public companies you work with. And do you have any stories or anecdotes that that might be helpful for, for public companies, whether it be early stage, just going public or already public? Any, any examples or any things that stuck out in your experience where you're like, wow, that was an eye opener both for us and the company? Yeah, you know, a couple of things come to mind. And and to be honest, a lot of it is driven again by that investor experience and and making sure a couple of things that, you know, you're getting your story out. You're running a public company. You have a business you have to do. You have people you're responsible to, but it's important to communicate that to your investors so they know what's going on. I've seen many situations where we get brought in when there's dissatisfaction with shareholders and it leads to a dissident shareholder meeting and or even worse uh, you know i've had a couple of experiences where we've been retained by groups and and shown up at a shareholder meeting for a public company that had no idea they were in trouble but they ended up having their boards overthrown at the meeting and you know it's one of those things where they they really should have known that they were in trouble. You know, there's always ways to spot the the issues. And one is 
you have to be having that open dialogue with your shareholders and find a way to get that story out and have those open lines of communication. And that's where I feel a solid IR person or IR team is worth their weight in gold. But, you know, aside from that, if you're not communicating your story and and having those open dialogues with the shareholders, it can lead to an experience where, you know, there's dissatisfaction that just gets out of hand. And and then you land in this spot where you might end up losing your position as a, a board member of the company. So, you know that's that's one thing I would say. Definitely um, keep an eye on that and monitor your voting anytime you're doing an AGM because you know you can see those warning signs if if you're um, coming up to your AGM and you're seeing these blocks of shares being appointed to people who you don't know. That should be a warning sign that you know why are all these people appointing these other parties as, as a, a proxy holder? Interesting. And, yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and again, a couple situations where I have shown up at these meetings and, and just people caught off guard. And then for me, looking at it, they really should have known. And while the issuer may not know what to look for, their transfer agent certainly does. And that's where it's important for us to always be monitoring the votes and and discussing it with our clients to make sure they know what's coming up if they have a resolution that might not be going to pass and you know how they can how they can combat that and get their agenda across. But yeah, another thing that we saw last year with one of our clients, which was quite interesting, and this was a company that they'd only gone public a year and a half before. They were a CPC and did their qualifying transaction and had their first AGM and everything went normal. And at that time, they had a shareholder base, beneficial shareholder base of about two or 3,000 shareholders. But then throughout the year that passed, they did a couple of acquisitions. They graduated their listing to the TSX. And so sure enough, when it came time for the AGM last year, and we're getting the mailing list ready to to do the proxy mail out, their shareholder base had gone up to over 30,000 beneficial holders, which personally, I've never seen that before in such a short timeframe. And it caught the issuer off guard. And now... This has huge impact because they have to pay for the printing of the material, the distribution of the material. Now, the voting is going to be significantly different than what they had previously experienced. And for something like that, I don't think there was really any warning sign that they would have known something like that was going to happen. But it was definitely an eye-opening experience for me that you know, it is good to do what you can. And there are ways you can monitor your beneficial owner base throughout the year. But a lot of companies don't do that. But it's definitely something that companies that are in big growth mode should consider doing. And again, that's where an IR rep can can definitely assist them. Well, so do you guys fancy yourselves an IR rep or like an IR rep working with you to make sure? <laughs> no, we... Yeah, so we we don't provide our IR services, but we work closely with IR representatives and you know anything they need from us we we are able to get whether it's ordering these types of shareholder reports monitoring you know different trading activity behind CDS with the various brokers but yeah i mean we we work closely with them but we don't provide the direct IR support gotcha i, I want to switch gears here because i'm still i'm still interested to hear more about Rick and Craig 
and Olympia and, and, and the succession that's happening. And, and the reason why I say this is like, I met Rick many years ago and I've met Craig as well along the way. And they're both personalities in their own right. And they've built a, a really, what in my view, a remarkable Canadian success story that I'm sure is loved by the institutions who, who buy into the public stock now. That's an economic side, but there's a culture side. There's a leadership side there. And you as an insider who has spent the, the lion's share of your career with them, there's a reason why. What, what stories do you have? And what, what has it been like to, to be working through this succession experience? Because it's a big issue for, for so many companies, both private and public. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I started at Olympia, Rick was the CEO of both the Olympia Financial Group and Olympia Trust Company. When I returned, there had been a separation. Rick is now still the, the CEO of Olympia Financial Group, but now Craig, his son, is the president of the trust company. But you know what I've seen in terms of how the company has built up the culture that it has and the reputation that it has, it really does you know, it started from Rick and, you know, our, our tagline is with us, it's personal. And, and he really believes that. And that's something that's passed on to everyone here. We take what we do very personally and we make sure that when we're working with our clients or their advisors or their shareholders, that we are personally invested in making sure that it's a, it's a positive experience for everyone. And I think, you know, with Rick, He's been a huge mentor for me, um, obviously, throughout my career. And, you know, a lot of it is just with his, his outlook, putting everything in the right perspective. You know, you're not going to win them all, but you'll win the ones you win and then you move on to the next day and, and see what the next day brings. And he's always been really good at keeping me very grounded. And uh, I, I'm forever thankful that I, I ended up working for, for someone like him. You know, when I returned in 2018, Craig uh, was the president of the trust company. So it's it's a it's a new relationship, but it's still very similar. Obviously, he has a lot of the traits that Rick has, but you know, Craig is very focused on expanding the company and growing the company and seeing what is going to um, lie ahead for us. And in fact, you know, we just completed an acquisition uh, last month. Ironically enough, uh, from ComputerShare, we acquired their book of business on their private um, self-directed RSP business. So, and that was purely from Craig's vision and Craig's industry knowledge, and he he knew what needed to be done to further strengthen our brand in that area. And uh, you know, he was able to to complete that transaction when a lot of us were questioning whether. Computer sure would even be open to selling that. So, uh, you know, yeah. To, to I'm just thinking back to when I met Craig, and I mean, he's he's been hammering the 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 exempt markets drum for many years, right? Yep. And absolutely. And and I mean, to his credit, I, and what shocked me is the size of the exempt market compared to the public markets. It's yep. just it's incredible. So so good on him, and that's uh, yeah, it's it's uh, that's great to hear. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the great things is, you know, there's been a lot of changes in the exempt market over the years. And I think Craig has been instrumental, actually, in a lot of those changes. You know, he's very active with the securities regulators, with industry associations. You know, a big part of it is making it 
accountable, you know, having, having that investor confidence uh, brought into exempt market because it's very different than public capital markets. You know, you don't have the same disclosure. You don't have, have the same transparency. Craig has always been a, a big champion for, for making it a very legitimate business. I've noticed that. And I also just want to reflect on the investment of time into things like industry associations is perhaps hard to put a, you know, a direct ROI to, but it's from what I've seen, it, it can pay off in, in such huge ways and in multiple ways from credibility to, to direct business coming in from, from, those, uh, from that, uh, that investment of time and whether it be volunteering or whatever. But the point is, is that investing the, that experience and that leadership into the industry associations is, is, is well worth doing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we um, in the transfer agent industry, we're, we're members of our association, which is the Securities Transfer Association of Canada or STAC. And so all the, the major transfer agents are members of the association, but we're fortunate. We have uh, Olympia representative who's on the board of directors as well. So it, it gives us a seat at the table and, you know, we tackle different policy issues that come out different industry initiatives that come out. And we also just support our own membership. You know, it's so, there are a lot of smaller transfer agents out there that don't have the resources of, say, a computer share, and they may need help or some guidance on a certain transaction. And, you know, as an industry association, that that is part of our mandate to, to help with education and, and just assist our membership. So it, it is kind of interesting because at one level, we are all competitors. We all do compete for, for the business. But when it comes time to work together and, and support the industry as a whole, everyone comes to the table and it's it's really great because we can really get our initiatives moving because of that something that just came to mind and and i'm just looking at our time here and I'm, i think we can we'll, we'll need to start to wrap up but a couple of things that came to mind first is for the the new division for olympia trust for corporate shareholder services and investor services you've come in and rebuilt the company from almost like what i understand ground zero and had uh, you know had a phenomenal 2021, but you got to have some advice because there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there, public or private, and they're looking and saying we need to rebuild something. Or um, and the the industry you're in is not an easy industry to get people to change. So I'm curious, like what's worked for you, and how have you how have you navigated that, and how have you maintained morale, mm-hmm. and 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 you know what are what what is what are some of the, the secret sauce that uh, that helped you you know really just resurrect a company from from the ground up? Yeah, it's it has been interesting. You know, we've we've now had three full years of our um, relaunch under our belt, and two of those were basically COVID years. So, you know, that presented yeah, another yeah, yeah. challenge. You know, it's a lot harder to get out in person and and meet with people and and uh, you know attend the industry events that frankly, weren't happening or had been moved online. So it has been a a bit of an interesting journey. But, you know, through it all, it it comes back to the the level of service and building those relationships. And, you know, we were very fortunate because coming back into the space, the majority of the team that is with me now are people who were on my team 
in the original Olympia CSS days. So this is a group that had already built up relationships with the various securities law firms and, you know, other industry associations and the brokerage community and things of that nature. So we were fortunate that we were able to start out having those relationships in place. And then it was just a matter of proving that we were still able to deliver on what we previously were able to deliver on, and that was service. And, you know, we, we've we always stuck to our guns on that, that that is top priority, providing the highest level of service to our clients and to their investors, and really, you know, supporting the industry wherever we can. And, you know, I, I always make it known that I I want Olympia and myself to be seen as a resource. And if people have questions and lawyers have questions, and you know, even if we're not the transfer agent, it doesn't matter. Call me up. I'm always happy to chat. People reach out, they bounce certain scenarios off me. And that's that's really what we're trying to build here. That Olympia is viewed as that resource where people can go for an answer. I gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Now, Let's final question here, and I'm I'm curious about the world of corporate shareholder services and and what that future potentially has to bring, or what's changing, and how is that going to impact issuers? Yeah, well, uh, you know, it has changed a lot over the past several years. I mean, uh, we, we're now many years into the the whole move towards dematerialization. In other words, getting physical share certificates, kind of off the plate and into the history books and moving on with the DRS statements, the electronic positions. So, you know, that's going to continue along. There are other things that are definitely on the horizon. Back in 2017, the industry moved from a T plus three settlement to T plus two settlement. Now the push is on to move to a T plus one settlement period. And it's looking like that will likely be... um, next year it's really being driven by the US and so by t plus 3 t plus 2 t plus 1 effectively is like that it's it's the time of the trade to plus a yep. day kind of thing <laughs> yeah exactly and, and i'm uh, just i want to drive in quickly on that why why are they moving to do that quicker and is there is there a bigger reason or influence to why that's happening you know what i i think it's just because of progress and really no other reason. You know, T plus three was kind of the old school way of doing things. And that was because physical share certificates had to be moving back and forth from right, okay. transfer agent to broker to depository and, and so on. And as as this dematerialization happened, it just made everyone realize that it, we can be doing this quicker and more efficiently. And, you know, T plus two is one step of that, but T plus one is, is the next logical step. And it's definitely doable. You just have to get all the different industry participants on the same page and working together. And that's that's really where we're at now. And that's one of the things we discuss at Stack, for example. So yeah, that's on the horizon. But I, I think the other one is really the virtual AGMs. And you know, this is now after two years of, of COVID, it's it's really become the norm. And I think we're going to see that it is here to stay. It's funny that before COVID, there had hardly been any virtual meetings in Canada. It was definitely something that was more popular in the U.S. And I remember giving a, a presentation to a law firm about a month before the lockdown started back in February, March of 2020. And I had some stats and and people were asking about the virtual meetings. And I said, look, you know, it, it's it's hard to say if if that's ever going to get the momentum here that it 
was starting to see in the U.S. But sure enough, COVID was the push that was needed. And uh, I think, you know, we we definitely see that they are here to stay. And I, I think companies are comfortable with them. They like the flexibility of them. So, you know, that's going to be part of our future going forward now in this industry. And I think that's a good thing. Really interesting. I've enjoyed this conversation because it's 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 so imperative that public companies use the services that you, you you know that you provide, but we never talk about them. We have no idea what goes on behind the scenes, and yeah. so uh, I appreciate the insights. And uh, before we wrap up, any any final thoughts? Any things that issuers or companies to go public? What do you think they should know? I think you just need to make sure you surround yourself with a solid team. And that team is going to be comprised of a number of different parties, one of which is the transfer agent. But like I mentioned, you also need your IR. You need legal counsel that's going to support you and make sure you're doing things the right way. So you need to have that team of advisors that is supporting you throughout your entire corporate journey. And as part of that, my advice is always don't settle for poor service, demand the type of service you, you, you should be getting and make sure that your shareholders are happy and that you're, you're satisfied with the way things are going. You know, it's, uh, as a public company, you want to stay focused on your business and make sure that's progressing. You don't have, want to have to worry about these little things that go on behind the scenes. So that's why you make sure you have a team that's strong and behind you that's going to make sure it's a smooth journey all the way. I got you. You know, it's that, that saying, you know, it takes a village, it takes a village to yeah. build a public company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. Dean, I appreciate it, man. And I've I've always really appreciated the, the approach and, and what you're leading with Olympia Shareholder Services, but also the Olympia Financial Group. Like it is a remarkable company. And so I enjoyed our conversation here and we'll put links to in the show notes. Thanks so much. Great. Thank you, Corey. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Insider's Guide to Finance. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit as well. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Play Store. Your support there is really appreciated. For future episodes, if there's a question, topic, or specific person you'd like me to interview, feel free to reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website at creativereturn.ca.